We'll hear argument now in number 005095, Hoffman Plastic Compounds, Inc. versus the National Labor Relations Board. Mr. McCourtney. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court, the issue in this case is whether the award of back pay to an undocumented alien who never was legally present or legally authorized to work in this country conflicts with this Court's holding in Shurtan or with this country's immigration laws and policies. In Shurtan, this Court held that the discriminatees in that case must be deemed unavailable for work and the accrual of back pay therefore told during any period when they were not lawfully entitled to be present and employed in the United States. The Shurtan Court's back pay limitation is consistent with the INA's dual requirement that to be employed in this country, an alien must be both legally present and legally authorized to work. Despite this dual requirement, the Board contends that Castro is entitled to back pay even though he never was legally present or legally authorized to work in this country during the back pay period. The fatal flaw in the Board's position lies in its adherence to its physical availability doctrine. The Board contends that this Court denied back pay to the discriminatees in Shurtan only because they had left the country and were physically unavailable for work. If the Board is right, the Shurtan discriminatees could have illegally reentered the country to establish physical presence and to commence the accrual back pay. However, such reentry would violate the immigration laws of this country and be contrary to this Court's holding in Shurtan. Have the immigration laws changed at all in any relevant respect since our decision in Shurtan? Yes, Your Honor. The passage of IRCA in 1986. And how, how, what, what relevant changes did IRCA make? IRCA was an amendment to the INA that made the employment, the knowing employment of un- undocumented aliens unauthorized from the employer's perspective. And, and is it correct that when Shurtan was argued, uh, RICA, if that's the way you pronounce it, was being considered by Congress, and the government in its argument told us that if a RICA had been passed, back pay would not be available? That's correct, Your Honor. Recognizing as it must that this Court in Shurtan conditioned the accrual of back pay on legal presence, the Board contends that the Shurtan Court sought only to deter the discriminatees from illegally reentering this country well, when to claim you say back pay. Conditioned it on legal presence. I mean, in fact, they were not present. I mean, the people in that case were still out of the country, weren't they? That's correct, Your Honor. So you have to acknowledge that it was dictum. Well, Your Honor, I, I would I would not call it dicta only because the court set forth the conditions upon which the discriminatees might receive back pay, if any, if they were to legally reenter the That's country. That's right, but, but, but it only had to say one condition in order to decide the case, namely, you had to be in the country. And they went on to say, and in addition, you have to be available to, to work. But, but that was really unnecessary to the decision. Well, the threshold condition was legal reentry, and that was the starting point of the analysis. If they were to reenter, then, of course, they would have to establish at the back pay hearing hearing legal authorization to work. If that is so, then why did the Court make the comment uh, on page 901 of the opinion in footnote 11 
talking about the board had said it's, it will make it an arbitrary number of weeks, and the court said the board has never attempt, attempt, attempted to impose a minimum back pay award that the employer must pay regardless of the actual evidence as to such issues as the employee's availability to work. Um, all of that would have been unnecessary if it were just a, this blanket rule, right? Well, Your Honor, I think in footnote 11, what the Court was addressing was the minimum back pay award of six months that the Court of Appeals had imposed and the Board had adopted, and then the Board tried to defend that award by arguing that they had, in other cases, um, uh, had estimates of back pay despite the fact that the discriminatee um, was able to st- unable to establish with any certainty the probable length of the back pay period. I think the court there was simply saying, and and that look, you don't even go so far as to provide any showing of proof as to how long these discriminatees would have worked before their apprehension by the INS. But we don't read that to mean that had those uh, discriminatees in Shertan remained in the country that they would have been entitled to back pay because they wouldn't have been legally present, legally authorized to work. Well, if, if the opinion in Shertan, we think equivocal, uh, if it's a wash either way, what, what is your principal argument for reversal here? Assuming that Shertan is equivocal? Yes. That the board's award of back pay conflicts with the immigration laws and policies of this country as embodied in the INA and IRCA. Well, what do you, what do you say of the, the argument that the Board makes that um, uh, even, uh, even if the, the, uh, the, the dictum in, uh, uh, in Shortan uh, were a, a holding, as, as you say it, it should be treated, that the statute has changed the landscape and that the Board's rule, in effect, uh, is, is in aid of the statute because the board is saying the illegality on the part of the employer comes when the employer knowingly employs these people uh, despite knowledge of, of their illegal character. Uh, so, in effect, we're going to say that the obligation to pay back pay stops when the employer knows that the alien, in fact, is illegally there. Up to that point, however, we're going to follow a different policy. We're going to make the employer pay back pay because otherwise we would make it very easy for employers. We would, in fact, create an inducement for employers to ignore the law uh, by, in effect, winking at illegality on the part of the workers. So the Board is saying, sure, the statute changed the legal landscape, even on your reading of Shortan. And we've come up with what seems to be a sensible way of implementing it. What is your response to that? Your Honor, the, just the mere prospect of receiving back pay in this case encouraged Castro to extend his illegal stay by more than four years and to continue well, using I, — I think, I think you're right, but the Board is saying, uh, yeah, there's that inducement on one side, but there's a very powerful employer inducement if we come out the other way. And although I don't think the Board put it in these words, I take it the Board is saying, we think the employers are going to make a rational decision uh, about inducements more clearly or more obviously than employees, uh, the illegal aliens, might do. So we're going to prefer the, the inducement or the policy that is going to have the strongest effect on the employers. 
isn't that a permissible choice for the Board to make? No, Your Honor. Uh, what the, the Board's authority here is to enforce the provisions of the National Labor Relations Act to the extent that they do not conflict with the immigration laws and policies of this country. And but the Board is saying we can't have it both ways. No matter which way we go, something we do would provide an inducement to violate the immigration law. We think probably the best way to get where we want to go uh, is to concentrate on inducements on the employer. Your Honor, I don't believe that those in the, the deterrence of the employer to that knowingly hires illegal aliens or employs them, that awarding back pay is necessary in light of the, uh, the sanctions under IRCA that now subject employers to do so to civil and criminal sanctions. And so well, wouldn't it also be the case that, that if the employer, by reason of this inducement, hired, so, supposed inducement, hired somebody whom he knew at the time of the hiring to be an unlawful, uh, uh, an illegal alien, even applying the board's rule, he wouldn't have to pay any back pay. That's correct, Your Honor. What, what is the, here? I, I think Justice Souter is, we've said in our cases just what Justice Souter said. I take it, INSV Lopez Mendoza, you know, quoting what Shurtan says, an employer can be guilty of an unfair labor practice in his dealings with an alien, notwithstanding the alien's illegal presence in this country. You agree with that? Retrospective sanctions against the employer may accordingly be imposed by the board to further the public policy against unfair labor practices. Now, those, that's what the court said. Now, this is a retrospective policy, a retrospective sanction of a compromise variety only for the period where the employer is not committing any labor law, any immigration law violation in order to further the labor policy. Why doesn't this fit within the two sentences that I just described? Because and if this doesn't, what would? Your Honor, what it doesn't address is the violation of the INA. I'm sorry. What the Court said in the sentences I read is that retrospective, I take it retrospective, sanctions can be assessed by the board. Now, are we, now, I want to know, if they can't do this, what can they do retrospectively? Or is the sentence I just read you by this Court wrong? Your Honor, I think what the sentence means, at least my reading of it, is that retrospective sanctions may be imposed Mm-hmm. But not necessarily. Fine. And what, other, what other ones are there? Is 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 what? Yeah. What other retrospective yeah, sanctions correct. are there? Thank you. Can the board fine? Can the board fine the employer? No, Your Honor. What else can the board do to punish the employer for for the unfair labor practice? A cease and desist order, as in this case, with the threat of contempt sanctions. Well, that's I a, would have that's a that prospective, prospective sanction, isn't it? Yes. So you really don't have any explanation for that for that language. Uh, All I would say, Your Honor, is which that is, I, I suppose, your explanation is that that's as much dictum as uh, as uh, as your your opponent says Shortan was. That's correct, Your Honor. Well, if, that's, wash, if that's the right? explanation, I take it that Shortan was dealing with a case 
where the employer did know in respect to the sanction that the employee, the alien, was illegal. So Shortan did not consider the kind of sanction here at issue, which is a sanction that applies only to the period where the employer did not know that the employee was an illegal, hence the employer was not violating the immigration law. It still doesn't address, Your Honor, the fact that the illegal presence and the use of fraudulent documents and working without authorization is a violation of the INA. Is it unlawful? That's the question I was going to ask you. Is, under the immigration laws, is it only the employer who is violating the law when he, when he hires, uh, with knowledge, uh, an illegal alien? Or is it also the case that an illegal alien who deceives an employer by providing a, a false green card, uh, and who then draws pay when he's illegally in the country, is that, is, is that unlawful? Yes, Your Honor. Well, well now, I, 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 I know, thought, I know I the thought. use of the green card is, but is the, is the working and getting pay unlawful under the immigration laws? Yes, it is. What, I, what? Th- I thought IRCA itself enacted a provision making it illegal for aliens to provide false documentation to get employment. That wasn't in the law when Shurtan was decided, was it? Yes, it was, Your Honor. In fact, let me just explain that 18 U.S.C. 1546 was already on the books that prohibited uh, the use of fraudulent documents for immigration purposes. And when IRCA came along, it amended the INA but added 1324C, which also prohibits the use of fraudulent documents to obtain employment. So at the time that Shurtan was decided, you had the following laws in this case that were violated by Mr. Castro, regardless of IRCA, entering the country illegally in violation of 8 U.S.C. 1325, uh, failing to register as an alien within 30 days of his entry, a violation of 8 U.S.C. 1302, uh, using fraudulent documents to obtain employment, a violation of 18 U.S.C. 1546, remaining in this country illegally and working without authorization, a violation of 8 U.S.C. 1182A5, which was formerly now, 8 Ir- U.S.C. Did, 11. Did IRCA add provisions and impose obligations on prospective employers to require them to review the documents and make sure that they appear to be regular on their face? Yes, Your Honor. And that was a new provision? That was a new provision. And is there any uh, allegation in this case that the employer failed to comply with that? No, Your Honor, it's undisputed. And it's, uh, May I ask if your position would apply if this were a violation of the Fair Labor Standards Act instead of the uh, Labor Act, if the employer had underpaid the employee, would he have a right to the back pay? Your Honor, I, in the amicus brief of the states, they seem to equate uh, back pay under the NLRA with back pay under the FLSA when they're two different things. I back pay I under — I understand they're two different. I'm just wondering what your position is on that. No, we would not advocate at all, and we have not, taking wages away from undocumented aliens that have been earned for work already performed. Even though they, it was a crime to do any work, well, if, if you're sticking with your theory that everything that this person did on that job — from presenting the false documentation on was unlawful. So why should he be paid anything for unlawful 
activity. You're making a distinction between the Fair Labor Standards Act and the NLRA, but your theory, I think, would cover both. Well, Your Honor, we give certain rights and benefits to undocumented aliens that are already in this country, and we do that to level the playing field between undocumented aliens and American workers so that unscrupulous employers won't prefer undocumented aliens over American workers. Well, furthermore, just from a standpoint of equity, I suppose the employer has benefited from the services uh, in, in, in the case that Justice Ginsburg uh, puts, and there's, 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 there's no benefit here, save arguably from the, uh, from the illegal labor, labor practice, but there's, there's no benefit for work received. That's, that's absolutely correct, Your Honor. In would, fact, would you, would you, would you clarify one thing for me? Sure. Do I understand that if the employer and the employee both know of the illegality, that then there's no back pay? Yes, Your Honor. I mean, it seems to me that's absolutely upside down. Well, Your Honor, the, 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 uh, of course, you don't, this is the government's position, you don't have the defendant. But, uh, in other words, as I understand the government's position, once the employer knows that there's a violation and continues it, uh, then he's no longer liable for back pay. That's a strange calculus. Well, Your Honor, that's the problem with the rule, is that it in some ways rewards the unscrupulous employer in Shurtan and penalizes the innocent p- employer as in Hoffman. If, if the unscrupulous employer knowingly hires an illegal alien, then when, whenever some kind of union organizing drive comes along and say, gee, we can get rid of them, and we know they're illegal, and we're, we're going to terminate them, then they can report them to the INS right from the outset, get them deported, well, the and cut off is, back The difference is, that, of course, that if the employer knowingly hires this uh, alien, he's subject to a lot of other penalties under the immigration law. That's take correct, an, Take an employer who, you know, all he does, he says, I've checked their cards. I've checked their cards. The cards say they're here legally. And he runs some god-awful sweatshop. Now, under your theory, there is no remedy under any law against that employer but for a prospective remedy. And so everyone gets one bite at that apple. Well, he has to pay for the sweat, though, doesn't he? Absolutely. I mean, and it's pretty low cost because he's violating every labor law under the sun. Well, if indeed the worker, uh, under the scheme you're proposing, there's no doubt that if the document it, undocumented alien works, he's going to get paid for the work. Absolutely, Your Honor. No and, doubt. And we have never And Justice Breyer's hypothetical is an OSHA violation. <laughs> could be. It could be an OSHA violation. And we are, we are as, I, as I said in answer to Judge Justice Ginsburg's question, we, we recognize that undocumented aliens are given certain rights and benefits to level the playing field. What about Title VII? Under Title VII, uh, uh, if it's back pay exactly like back pay under the National Labor Relations Act, where it's unearned wages for work not performed during the back pay period, then that would be a problem. Suppose the allegation is they kept me in this entry-level job, although I was qualified for the next steps, because I was a woman and they never promote women. That's the charge. And she wants back pay. She wants to be paid at the rate she should have earned, absent sex discrimination. In that situation, Your Honor, if it were discovered that uh, that the uh, 
illegal — that this person was an illegal alien. Make it just like this case. Then there are other remedies available under Title VII to effectuate the policies of the Act and to enforce compliance. I'm asking about back pay for Title VII. You, you, you said you would treat FLSA differently, and there would be back pay. Here, Title VII, which — would that go be bracketed with FLSA, or would it be bracketed with the NLRA? It would be bracketed. If in your situation you would give back pay, and let me explain the difference in this case. The problem with the board's remedy is that the very nature of the remedy creates a duty to mitigate, which in turn requires and encourages the illegal alien to seek interim employment, thereby committing further and new violations of the immigration's law. So in Title VII, if she were laid off, say, because they laid off all the women before they laid off any men. So she would also have a duty to mitigate in those circumstances. Would the result be different? No. When there's a duty to mitigate, which requires them to seek interim employment, that is where the rub is. But under Title VII, under, unlike the National Labor Relations Act, there's a whole array of other remedies available to enforce compliance, punitive damages. Um, um, you can — compensatory damage, emotional distress. That is not dependent on the uh, the victim's authorization to work in this Of course, country. her complaint, if it were if it were complete, should, should read something like, you know, I shouldn't have been working at all, and uh, it was illegal for me to be working at all, and uh, I'm complaining because uh, I only got uh, $12,000 in illegal uh, — illegal wages, uh, I should have gotten $14,000 in illegal wages. I don't find that a very appealing case anyway. You find that an appealing case? No, Your Honor, I don't. I don't find that an appealing case. But you just told me that you would bracket the Title VII with the FLSA. I, yes, because I, notwithstanding Justice Scalia's uh, very good example that I don't find that appealing, that there is a way that this Court can distinguish between the National Labor Relations Act, which is remedial in nature, and all these other state and federal uh, discrimination laws that have punitive features to it that are not dependent on the undocumented alien's ability to work in this country. Well, I don't have any doubt that there are other ways for us to distinguish this. Uh, and it may very well be that if this were an original matter with us, we wouldn't have sort of uh, struck the balance where the Board did. Uh, but you've got the element here, the added element uh, here, of, of the Board's decision. And I suppose uh, we owe some kind of respect to it, uh, given the confusion of statutes. Uh, the extent to which we owe deference is not perhaps clear. But we've got to, we've got to give some consideration to it, haven't we? Well, Your Honor, if I could just supplement that. Do, do we owe any deference to the views of the Attorney General of the United States, who is responsible for enforcing these both statutes? Uh, Your Honor, I don't believe so. Under, we're looking at a remedial statute under 10C of the NLRA, and the only deference that the Board is entitled to is if the remedy that they order does not conflict with the immigration laws and policies of this country. We don't give deference to administrative agencies as to what damages are available in court. That's not part of their administration of the laws, is it? I don't know any case where we've said, well, what damages, you know, the, the agency can tell us what damages we can award. That, that, that seems quite, quite extraordinary. Were there, were there agency adjudications here? 
In what way, Your Honor? There was a, there the was board? a back pay hearing. There was a underlying unfair labor practice proceeding. It, which, and, and the result of which was? that the uh, employer was found to have violated the National Labor Relations Act. The administrative law judge at the back pay yeah, there was, I mean, there was an administrative order to pay, wasn't there? Yes, but the administrative law judge did find that it did not award any back pay to Castro because it conflicted with Shertan and found that it conflicted with IRCA. The f- but, the, but the board did. Yes. Yeah. If you, I guess you're quite right that if the — if the board's award violates the immigration law, that's the end of the case, and that's you win. Correct. But suppose that the immigration law doesn't forbid that award in terms, but its policy would, in fact, uh, be hindered, while the labor law, actually the policy is furthered, though it doesn't insist on this kind of award. Wouldn't we defer to the board when it seeks to reconcile, or the attorney general, when uh, they seek to reconcile the policies of the two statutes. No, Your because Honor. I, I would I would respectfully disagree. In this, in Shertan, this Court said, in devising remedies for unfair labor practices, the Board is obliged to take into account another equally important congressional objective, to wit, the objective of deterring unauthorized immigration that is embodied in the INA. Well, that goes back as far as Southern Steamship Company, where you're talking about the mutiny statute that the board can't just go ahead without any reference to competing statutes? Well, Your Honor, I would agree. If, if the board's remedy conflicts with the policies of another statutory scheme, then it, it's they're owed no deference. The board did take that into account, though. I don't remember what they did in this case, but in, in that case where the board explained that it was indeed taking into account the policy of the immigration laws and the policy of the NLRA. What was the name of that case? It was affirmed on, on appeal. The, the case where the board laid out its reasoning for taking, the, taking this position. The APRA-FUEL case? Yes. Okay. Your Honor, the, the fundamental problem with this case is that this Court stated in Shertan that the objective of the INA is to deter unauthorized immigration. But let's, and that a pro- let's go back to one thing that it also said in Shuratan, which is that the Court of Appeals here made an estimate without any evidence as to the period of time these employees might have continued working before apprehension by the INS. And that sounds, working before apprehension by the INS, that sounds very close to what the Board did in this case. Well, Your Honor, also in Shertan, in the last sentence of the remedial section of the opinion, it states, by directing the Board to impose a minimum back pay award without regard to the employee's actual economic losses or legal availability to work, the Court of Appeals plainly exceeded its limited authority under the Act. It made it clear that it wasn't just actual losses that was the problem. It was the fact that the discriminatees were not either legally present or legally authorized to work. So then the, the, what, what do you make of the, the um, condition about the period between um, the violation and when the employees might have continued working before apprehension by the INS? I, Your Honor, I don't know because the discriminatees in that case were left the country the same day they were I'm not talking about how the, out, the outcome of that particular case where they were in Mexico, but a case where they were here. And the question was, how much back pay? And there's a reference to 
not a flat six weeks or six months or whatever, but the time period from the unlawful employment practice until one would expect the INS would pick up these people. Uh, Your Honor, again, I think that that is inconsistent with the other language in the Shertan decision, which is repeated over and over again about legal availability to work and being legally authorized to work. And why would the Court use that language if it didn't have to? So getting back to the policy of this that underlies the immigration laws of this country is to preserve jobs for American workers. It is not the act of illegal entry that takes jobs away from American workers. It's the act of working in this country without authorization that takes jobs away from American workers. And I would submit that the continued presence of an illegal alien in this country poses a greater threat to American jobs than an alien who enters this country repeatedly because the latter presupposes that the alien has been physically absent from the job market for a period of time. If the under the, the board's scenario, the sure-tan discriminatees could have re-entered on a, a tourist visa and be legally present and not legally authorized to work. And under that scenario, they're clearly not entitled to back pay because it violates 1182A5 uh, that sets forth the terms and conditions on which aliens can work in this country and those that can't. The same would be true of aliens who enter the country on a student visa or who overstay their visa and work without authorization. So whether you have an, an alien that enters this country illegally and works without authorization or who enters this country legally and works without authorization, both takes jobs away from American workers and both violate the INA. Thank you, Mr. McCourtney. Mr. Wolfson, we'll hear from you. Thank you, Your Honor. Mr. Wolfson, before you get to the substance of the matter, I, I want to ask a question that sort of relates to something that Justice Stephen asked, uh, Stevens asked, and that is, uh, um, can, can we take it that this uh, — I, I know that the SG's office usually um, reconciles the views of various agencies uh, before, before a case is, uh, is, is argued here. What, what, what was the position of the Immigration and Naturalization Service? Justice in this Scalia, matter, when, when, when it was told that that it want that that you're, you're going to argue that courts should pay illegal aliens money that it was unlawful for them to earn, what what did the INS say to that? Uh, Justice Scalia, may it please the court, the, the position in our brief has been developed in consultation with the Immigration and Naturalization Service. This is the position of the United States. I understand and, and, that. Did the and, INS agree with it? The INS has agreed with it and accepts it, and I'm here representing They accept it. I have no choice but to accept it if the Attorney General tells them to. (laughs) Well, I mean, if if they agreed with it, I mean, and just thought, the INS. I have no, it explains why we have a massive problem of illegal immigration, if that's that's how the INS feels about this. I I, I must disagree with that, Justice Scalia, and the point is, as the Board recognized both in this decision and in the APRA fuel decision, which preceded it. The essential problem is that there is, as the Board pointed out, an inseverable connection between uh, illegal immigration, the availability of jobs, and poor working conditions for employees uh, for, that uh, illegal immigrants are willing to take in the United States. Now, Congress enacted IRCA on the premise there was very little that it could do about the wage differential uh, and the difference in levels of employment and unemployment that was drawing 
illegal immigrants to the United States in search of jobs. Doesn't what it, it could say in IRCA, didn't the, legis- the history of the report say that IRCA is not meant to undermine or diminish in any way labor protections in existing law or to limit the powers of Labor Relations Board to remedy unfair practices committed against undocumented employees? That is, that is exactly right. Well, so, what is exactly right? Uh, that's what a legislative <laughs> That is what the legislative history says. But, but simultaneously in The legislative that, history was that. I mean, right. was this a really powerful portion of legislative yes, history? Yes, I would like call it. A, uh, uh, yes, quite, it is. It's like in the, one, one committee report? Uh, well, it's two committee reports. Two committee it's reports. the Judiciary Committee, House mm-hmm. Judiciary Committee, and the Education and Labor Committee. But I don't uh, Of the House legis- or of the Senate? Of the House. Both but, of the House. Okay. But, I, but I don't have just legislative history. It gives you two committees of one House. Okay. I think it is important also to note that in IRCA, Congress also wrote into law authorization of increased resources for enforcement of, of uh, federal labor laws by the Department of Labor, by the Wage and Hour Division, and the Office of Federal Contract Compliance. That in include, order, did it include the National Labor it, Relations it, Board? It did not refer to the National Labor Relations Board, but the point is Congress knew that the Department of Labor sh- uh, was enforcing and should enforce federal labor laws at the behest of and for the benefit of illegal aliens to obtain back pay for them. And they wanted to be sure that, that aliens who had no right to be here, had no right to be earning any money, well, should, should get paid for periods that they didn't work. It, it, it's not a matter of their having worked and, and, and provided the employer with, with a benefit, which you're then reimbursing them for, but they haven't worked. It, it's, it, it, is, it is not just periods for which they have worked, which might arguably distinguish the Fair Labor right. Standards Act right. uh, minim, you know, maximum hours and minimum wage. It's also the Office of Federal Comp- uh, Contract Compliance, which enforces anti-discrimination no. provisions, routinely seeks back pay for, ali- for aliens and others who have been terminated in violation of executive orders. Uh, another even point, though it's unlawful for them to, even to receive it, that. Yes, even though it is. The, extraordinary. A, fundam- a, a very let, let me, fundamental part of the Fair Labor Standards Act, excuse me. In in most back pay situations where the employer has committed an unfair labor practice and dismisses an employee improperly, the amount he's going to be stuck with for back pay is limited by the fact that the person unlawfully fired has to mitigate. He has to find another job. If he could have gotten another job easily and doesn't do so, the employer doesn't have to pay. Now, how was this uh, this unlawful alien supposed to mitigate? Well, mitigation is quite impossible, isn't it? I, I'm not sure I agree with that exactly, Justice. Well, here's, well, here's, I wouldn't say that the unlaw, I wouldn't say that the undocumented alien has a duty to mitigate. I have to emphasize that the board has he, not. He does not have a duty. I, to mitigate. I, I, I will agree with that. I, ha, I have to say the board has not examined this issue in detail. But first of all, of course, anything that he does obtain in the matter of interim wages will be deducted from his back pay. Oh, and that is quite consistent. If he unlawfully obtains another job, that will be deducted. Yes, and that is quite consistent. But if he's smart, he need not do that. Not if necessi- he's smart, he'd say, how can I mitigate? It's unlawful for me to get another job. Justice I can just Scalia, sit home and eat chocolates and get my back pay. I don't agree that the board would have to accept such a representation. That is, the board might permissibly conclude that an undocumented alien should not be any better off than an authorized worker by virtue of his undocumented status. So if an employer could say, well, if a person with the same credentials, background, education, and so forth would have made a job search and would have obtained employment and would have uh, obtained 
thus and such wages, this undocumented uh, alien worker uh, would have uh, have done so. Should have done so. Or should should have have violated the law. Should not benefit from the fact that he is an undocumented alien and being relieved of, uh, in getting more back pay than the similarly situated authorized worker. Now, the Board was faced with the task here of reconciling two important federal statutory schemes, the federal labor laws and the immigration laws. Is it consistent? I, I would think that the, the, does the, does the board have to reconcile the Fair Labor Standards Act and the Office of Contract Compliance? I, I would think that its responsibility is the National Labor Relations Act and the Immigration Act in this case. Uh, that is correct, uh, Mr. Chief Justice, but I, but the board did look to IRCA, and the Court can look to IRCA, which includes these other provisions uh, in the Department of Labor to determine what Congress was attempting to achieve in IRCA, and those are, uh, I think, reasonable indicators of what Congress's objectives were and how far it intended to go, along with the legislative history. Well, when the Board the makes, makes its calculus, and when the government made its calculus, um, did it give any consideration to the fact that a union ought not, as a matter of policy, to use illegal aliens for organizing activity? Or do you think the union can do that? Is well, it consistent with the labor laws of the United States for the union? Say it knowingly uses an alien for organizing activity. I, I don't know that the board has addressed the point of knowingly using illegal aliens. I do know that the board has concluded that uh, undocumented aliens may be included within the bargaining unit. Um, and indeed, in both shorthand in shorthand itself, I believe they were included. And, and that and, and that uh, that doesn't induce illegal immigration. Well, uh, it seems to me that's a far more direct link than the very tenuous idea that uh, you have that there's going to be more illegal immigration because they know they're going to get back pay. Here, what you're saying is that a union can, I suppose, even knowingly uh, use illegal aliens on the workforce to organize the uh, employer, knowing that by doing that, uh, the alien will still be entitled to back pay. That seems to me completely missing from, from any calculus, from any equitable calculus in your brief. I just, and since it's a more direct link, I'm quite puzzled by it. Well, I don't know. Um, I would suggest that the, the more powerful inducement towards uh, illegal migration is the availability of the job, uh, union or no. That is, even if the union is willing to include undocumented workers in its bargaining unit, there still has to be a, a job for that uh, worker, and it is the employer who is fundamentally in control of that matter. And it Mr. Is the Wilson, employer- in these cases, we're only talking about a situation where the employer, and I presumably the union too, doesn't know, because if, if the employer knows, then the employer's obligation is to dismiss that person, as I assume it would be the unions, too. But in all these cases, the issue comes up only because the employer didn't know of the illegality. Isn't that so? Well, in this case, the employer did not know. Now, there are cases, I have to say, where the employer does know, such as the APRA fuel corporation that was referred to. And in that case, what the Board has done is it has said that the the, Board the Board has ordered reinstatement on condition that the undocumented alien put himself into a situation where he can obtain reinstatement legally. That is, the, under no circumstances does the Board order reinstatement uh, of an employee who everybody knows is undocumented. But not back pay. But I mean, it does order back pay up to the point where 
up to the point where either the employee is reinstated or it terminates at a reasonable — if the employee fails to put himself in compliance with the immigration laws and become qualified, the Board cuts off back pay as of that — as of the end of a reasonable period. And that is consistent. Even though the employee — even — even — I thought — I thought that the rule was as soon as the employer knows — of the illegality, we're not going to allow any back pay from then on. Well, that is because in a case like this, what the what the board is doing is affording the employer the benefit of its general after acquired if evidence. He knows, rule. If he knows about the illegality from the very beginning, then we will. Well, in a situation, in a situation, we will order back pay. Yes, because in a situation like that, the employee, the employer, is not well situated to claim the benefit of the after acquired evidence rule because it cannot claim that it wouldn't have hired the alien anyway. To, to, uh, well, to use an example, so you have two people violating the law instead of one. Uh, well, there are two people it's violating the law here, Justice Scalia. I mean, the board. I mean, there aren't two people violating the immigration laws, but the employer did violate uh, the National Labor Relations Act, and the board is quite well, from the time of the initial hiring up until. His violation. I mean, but what you're saying is when both the employer and the employee are violating the law, we're going to — you were asking the courts to give, give their benediction to, to, to this, this stark violation of United States law by awarding money that hasn't even been worked for. I, I'm, I, this is just something courts don't do. Well, the board is — the board is charged with the responsibility of, of developing — a workable implementation of the National Labor Relations Act pursuant to its authority under Section 10C. In doing so, it, of course, must take into consideration the policies of the immigration law. Well, but what, there is what no it's doing, though, really, is kind of odd because the, the result is that back pay awards to illegal workers are likely to be greater than to legal ones under this Board's policy. And that's so odd. And it gives the illegal alien an incentive to try to phony up more documents and to extend for the longest possible time the charade that the worker is here lawfully. And that's, that's surely uh, strongly against uh, the policies of the Immigration Act at the very least. The, the problem, Justice O'Connor, is that the Immigration Act the policies come down on both sides. I mean, yes, they obviously discourage illegal immigration and obtaining of jobs by illegal immigrants, but they also very strongly operate on the employer. And Congress, the fundamental premise on which Congress enacted IRCA was that it was the employer's, the employer had a very strong and natural economic and competitive incentive to hire illegal workers. And it is that, it is the Board's concern in this case, I think, quite properly, is that if back pay were removed from the equation, the well, but Congress's you, attempt to can, excuse me, sorry, I'm sorry. You, you say it comes down on both sides, and it, it makes certain acts by illegal uh, immigrants illegal, even the entry, and it makes certain acts by the employer illegal. Here, the the worker, the alien, was violating the law. The employer was not violating the law. So you say it comes down on both sides. If both were violating the law, I could see your point, but the employer was not violating the law. That is correct, Mr. Chief Justice, but the Board is attempting to fashion — the Board doesn't know in advance which employer will violate the law by hiring uh, undocumented aliens knowingly and which will not, or which employer will uh, — So you say this this is a prophylactic rule? I think that the the Board is is fashioning a rule that is implementing — 
Congress's policy objective across the board. But shouldn't remedies be looked at after the fact? Let's find out who violated what and then fashion the appropriate remedy. Well, the Court has not said that the board has to only fashion its remedies in the case in which the precise situation uh, in the, you know, in the precise situation into which it's, it's dedicated in a case called NLRB versus, I think, 7-Up Bottling Company, uh, the, the Court explained that the Board can make its back pay calculations uh, for the purpose of across-the-board rules rather than just the employer uh, to which uh, — that is before the, before the Board itself. And the point is, I mean, even though this employer — even though there's no evidence that this employer violated IRCA when it uh, — nonetheless, the Board, I think, could quite reasonably say, well, if — or if there is a flat rule that employees will never get back pay when they are vo- terminated in violation of the National Labor Relations Act, employers then will pick up on that rule and they will say, okay, now I can get away with it because there's not going to be any remedy for any employee. And this is a very large — They'll get away with it. They're, they're subject to prosecution for viol- — if, if they know that it's, a, it's an illegal uh, — It's not just the problem of their knowing uh, — of their knowing that they're illegal hiring. There also is the, the — um, uh, the paperwork obligations, the verification systems. And I think there is a very real concern that an employer who knows that there's not really any monetary price to being lax in, in, uh, hire, in, in checking whether illegal aliens are hired would say, well, on the one hand, I just have the civil violations for uh, violating the paperwork concerns. On the other hand, it, the labor of undocumented aliens is in a very real but, sense. It's just why, that why, 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 should, why should the board be responsible for making sure that the employer documents his material about illegal aliens? I, I don't think that — it's not that the board is implementing IRCA, Mr. Chief Justice. It is that its policy here is consistent with the policies that I've been well, discussing. Well, but here, here's the thing. When the employer reviews documents and concludes that they're valid and the person is lawfully here, then the employer isn't going to get some advantage of hiring some illegal alien because the worker will have to be paid and given benefits as though the worker were legally here. So uh, there's no incentive for the employer under those circumstances to give a bum deal to the employee. None at all. But there is an incentive, it seems to me, for the employee to continue to conceal the facts, the facts that he's here illegally and has no right to work and that the documents are false. And the, the board's rule fosters both those. But one does have to take into account, I think, what would be the consequence of an opposite rule. That is, no back pay for an undocumented alien. And there is, I think, a very serious consequence that a flat rule that said something like seven million undocumented workers just simply get no back pay at all if they are uh, in this country illegally and not employed. That is a very large class of people to basically say you, you, you are just without a, without a remedy under the National Labor Relations Act, and there may be implications for other federal labor laws as well. And but why, we why should they be used to, uh, to organize a bargaining unit if, because they're, it, if, they're Ill, if they're illegal employees? I'm baffled by that. Because it — well, because the labor laws benefit everybody, and it's not just uh, — I mean, they are — when I say they're organizing a bargaining unit, obviously there are — there may be, in this case there were other — citizens and authorized aliens who are interested in organizing for the purpose of vindicating their rights under Section 7 of the Labor Relations Act. The Court pointed this out in shorthand, where it said 
it, it is appropriate to include illegal aliens within the definition of the employees because all the workers are in it together. See, I, I, I would have thought, I would have thought, Mr. Wolfson, that when you said, you know, there are seven million illegal aliens in this country, that what you would follow that with is not, that's an awful lot of people not to give back pay to. I, th- I would have thought you would follow it with, we have to do something to reduce this massive number of seven million illegal aliens. And, and, what, and, and what you don't want to do to reduce it is to give them back pay. Now, there is no question that there is a serious problem of illegal immigration, and the INS and the Attorney General dedicate substantial resources to attempting uh, to resolve that problem. On the other hand, Congress without question recognized when it enacted IRCA that uh, — there were, this was a many-faceted problem, and one aspect of the problem was that there was a natural magnet in uh, drawing illegal uh, document, undocumented workers here in the wage differential, and that employers were willing to give jobs, and that it should not be cheaper for an employer to hire an undocumented alien than it is to hire okay, another worker. but the argument, Mr. Wilson, the ar- if every time — I, I understand that argument. Every time you make the argument, it seems to me the answer comes back — there are other ways to go against the employer. Uh, you can find the employer. You can bring criminal actions against the employer and so on. So that the, the answer always is the, 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 uh, the, the, the effort to, uh, to discourage employers from hiring illegal aliens doesn't depend upon the back pay. I thought the board's position was strongest to counter that when the board says, there's kind of the gray area in which it's not clear that we can prosecute the evidence of what the employer knew at the relevant time uh, is is not leaping out at us, and so what we are trying to do is to fashion a remedy for those cases in which it's not practical to prosecute, but which we know perfectly well in the real world employers are winking at the likelihood that they're, um, uh, that they're employing illegal aliens. That's the group that we want to provide the inducement for by forcing back pay. Is, am, am I giving the Board too much credit? <laughs> I, I wouldn't say that the Board has limited its — it certainly hasn't limited its remedy to that situation. Well, well why then in the question — why in the question, because I have exactly the same question, that's exactly what I thought, in the question that the government presented — it says whether in order to pay back pay to an employee who was discriminatorily laid off, but only up to the date on which petitioner discovered that the employee was an undocumented alien, whether that kind of order is lawful. That's how you saw the question presented. Now are you telling me that what I'm supposed to decide is a case I really didn't think I had to decide, which is what happens if the board awards back pay to others, such as those whom the employer has always known were illegal? We are not suggesting that the Court has to decide that case here. And indeed, in our brief in opposition to the cert petition, we pointed out that that was a different set of cases, the set of cases under the APRA. Well, the, if it's a narrow program, question, but, just what but. Justice Souter said, I had taken to be the precise rationale for the narrow set of cases we're supposed to de- decide. Now, now, maybe that's all not so. That's, that, I think, is what he was saying, and I'm seconding it. Surely you haven't missed your opportunity. <laughs> Justice Barrier, 
My point is that the board in a case like — the board did rely on its APRA fuel decision in this case. But what it, it held in this case was that an employer — once an employer learns that uh, an alien is undocumented and therefore he cannot be hired, and in addition that the board accepts that that employer would not have — would not have hired that alien and would have discharged the alien when it found out that he was undocumented, then the employer should surely get the benefit of the after-acquired evidence rule that is applied in uh, many, many kinds of federal labor laws, including the Age Discrimination Act, for example. Um, the once, once you adopt that rule, however, it seems to me that the asserted benefit to the immigration laws that you're claiming this rule has disappears. It, it is no disincentive to any employer, because the only — the only employer who, who would get the benefit of the rule that you don't get any back pay would be the perfectly innocent employer who hires someone not knowing that the person is an unlawful inig- How are you possibly deterring anybody? You're, well, you're trying to deter the employer who hires an immigrant, apparently with, with this in the back of his mind. I know this guy's an immigrant and I can commit an unfair labor practice upon him. I, I'm, I'm, I'm rather skeptical whether that's high in the mind of any employer. But assuming it is, you still have to assume, if he's going to be deterred, that he knows that the person is an illegal immigrant. But this rule only applies to people well, who don't know. Whether or not — he may not know in the face of having clear, irrefutable evidence before him. On the other hand, he may be induced to be somewhat lax in his uh, compliance with the obligations of well, the verification system. Well, get him for that, then. Because — well, that — of course, that's not right. — But you're right. — isn't, right. isn't another way to describe the class that you're dealing with is he may not know in the sense that the government can prove right. that he knew. But there is a class of employers as to whom the evidence is not clear. And it is that class that we want to provide the negative inducement for. Isn't that the answer? I think at, at a, I would say at a minimum that is the answer. But why, and the board, why, and the board why, cannot know in should, advance. Why should the board take over responsibility for those provisions that are basically immigration law provisions? Mr. Chief Justice, the board does not view itself as enforcing the immigration laws. I think the question is, is this, is this particular order inconsistent with the immigration laws, or is it consistent? And for some of the reasons that are being expressed here, all that we are saying is that it does not it — is, it is consistent with them. Surely there is no direct conflict with the immigration laws. No, the board — What you just agreed to uh, in, in your colloquy with Justice Souter does contradict the, the, the immigration I, — I, I remember when this statute was passed about what the responsibility of the employer was, and it was — it was a clear provision of the statute that all the employer has to do is check the papers. It isn't the responsibility of the, of the employer to look behind the papers and see whether it's forged. Now you're saying, ah, oh, but there are some employers that maybe, yeah, they, you know, they, they complied with the provision of the law. They looked at the card, which is what the statute — there was a big fight over that. How much is investigatory uh, responsibility is going to be placed on the, on the employer? And the answer was basically none. Just just look at the documentation. And now you're saying, but some employers, we think they should have known better, and we're going to impose uh, uh, on this class of employers, and as it turns out, on a lot of others, uh, liability, which which they shouldn't have. They don't have any liability under IRCA. I mean, nobody is suggesting that the board can impose a liability under IRCA. But there is a concern, I think, that if an employer is totally exempted from uh, back pay, a back pay remedy under another federal labor law, that that does that does work an inducement on the part of the employer to hire illegal aliens. Do no more than what the statute requires. Check 
check the documentation. If the documentation is there and valid on its face, he's entitled to proceed. That, that's what the fight was about, and that's how the, the, the immigration law came out. Um, I, do want to, I do want to touch a bit on shorthand, which I haven't uh, had much of a chance to discuss. Our, our, uh, we have uh, submitted in our brief that we think that the facts of the, short, of the situation in shorthand really make it quite distinguishable from uh, this particular case. In shorthand, uh, first of all, I do want to uh, point out that um, the, the condition that the Court explained uh, and, and put on the uh, um, on a reinstatement and back pay remedy. Those did originate in the Seventh Circuit, and no party to this court challenged uh, that condition. That reinstatement and back pay had to be conditioned on the employee uh, showing that he was legally authorized to be present and employed in the United States. Now, the court perceived that what, what happened in short time was essentially the employer was being forced to say to the employee, you have a guaranteed job and a paycheck waiting for you right now. So come back to the, so come back to the United States right now and pick it up. I mean, that obviously is a very powerful lure to an employee to uh, migrate back to the United States if there is no condition that the employee show that he is authorized. Uh, we submit that the, the, uh, the uh, incentives uh, work quite differently in a case like this where the employee does remain in the United States. Uh, Congress did enact IRCA on the assumption that uh, illegal, uh, undocumented alien employees in the United States were at the very bottom of the wage scale. They were likely to remain here as long as they could get any job that was available. And uh, as against that, uh, we submit that the, uh, the inducement to violate the immigration laws that petitioner suggests by the prospect of waiting around after years of litigation for the prospect of a, you know, some kind of back pay award at the end of the day is quite minimal. And all the courts that have looked at this, um, uh, under other federal laws such as Title VII and the FLSA have, have agreed that it is not the prospect of a back pay award that induces illegal migration or, or illegal stay in the United States. It is the prospect of any job at any wage that is available. And so the, the incentives do operate quite differently here uh, than they did in short Um Mr. Wolfson, do you think a state court could enforce a contract for employment by an illegal alien? I do not think that a state court could. You know, an illegal could, makes right. a contract with an employer, and then then uh, it, it is uh, he sues because the employer doesn't go ahead with it. And, and uh, could a state court say, I "Well, think, you made the contract; you should be liable for damages." I, I think a state court could award damages, and state courts have done so. It could not order specific performance because that would order. It could not order specific performance in ordering the employer to employ the person because that would be employment in violation of IRCA. But there, there would be a direct conflict with IRCA. But state courts There's have no doctrine that, that contracts in violation of the law are unenforceable? They're not necessarily completely void. I mean, um, not just contracts, but state courts have awarded tort damages uh, for lost wages. It is universally the rule that undocumented aliens are entitled to workers' compensation. I think only two states have, have gone the other way. And all of the state courts that have looked at that have said, yes, it is true when the employee is, dis, you know, is injured and claims workers' compensation. He is claiming uh, a measure of compensation that is related to the employment they would have had. But nonetheless, uh, uh, the vast majority of state courts uh, have held that illegal aliens can proceed under the workers' compensation rules. And the same is true of toward and contract damages as well. But all of that is for work done nope. or injury suffered, not well, to enforce a contract which has not been executed, which is what's going on here. 
Well, there may — perhaps there is a difference between tort and contract damages, but it is not just for work done. If it is for injury suffered, it is for injury suffered uh, as measured against that the work would have been done or work that would have been done. I mean, surely that's the case in, in tort damages or, or workers' compensation where the employee says, uh, I would have worked and you owe me this money. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Wilson. The case is submitted.